0: This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists. And I'm your host, doctor Brunwyn Brunwin-Milkins. Hello, mental workers, and welcome back to the Mental Work Podcast for Early Career Psychologists. I'm very excited today because we are going to be talking about whether the undergraduate psychology degree is fit for purpose. What caused me to think about this topic was going through the undergrad psych degree, so three years plus one year's honours, and then being thrust into the workplace and kind of not having the skills needed to thrive. I kind of floundered and it was a big flop actually and I wanted to talk with somebody else who had also gone through the psych degree and could comment on how much it is overlapped with where they are now and whether they think there's scope for improvement. So who I have here with me is Brian Chang. Say hi, Brian. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Brian is a psychologist with 15 years experience across various settings including crisis helplines, disability, headspace, child services and he's now a school psychologist. Does that sum it up about right?
1: Yeah, it- it's um weird to hear it back at me like that but yeah that's all the bits and pieces that I've done over the over the years.
0: Yeah. And so, what we're going to cover in this episode is we're going to talk through Brian's experience of going through the undergrad and then talking about his subsequent experience. So, Brian did the four plus two pathway, which is four years uni. And then, around about two years, I'll be interested to hear how long it actually took you. Sometimes it takes people more. Uh, Around about two years, intensive workplace experience where they learn all the competencies required to become a psychologist. And I'm interested to hear how this has played out in his current role. We'll also be going through what exactly the undergrad degree is supposed to provide us with and then what skills are actually needed to be a psychologist in the day-to-day world. So could we just start off, I guess, with your experiences going through the undergrad? What does that look like for you? Take us back.
1: Yeah, it's a, a trip down memory lane. Well, I think to go, to go right back, I, I think look, psych, psych was never uh, the end goal for me. I think it was never like a, a burning passion. Like I want to be a psychologist, but like I was really guided by my mom who kind of saw that I was analytical and uh, was reasonably kind of empathic with people and thought that it was a good profession to go down. So on that basis, that's kind of how I chose it. What was my experience like? I mean, obviously I was interested in, in the topics and mm. um, first year psych and all the great lectures about, you know, attraction and social psychology. So I think, I really had that passion for the, the the topic and and all all those interesting areas. I mean, as it progressed, I feel like there were some there were like there are a lot of different topics, right? So you had those kind of um, more social side of things, but then you had the really hardcore neuropsych bits with all the brain stuff, which I found really difficult and really needed my study study group. Yes, you know, lots of late nights figuring out visual perception and stuff. Yep. Uh, and then the stats side, I think I felt challenging. I, f- I felt it was really challenging too because uh, it was just, you know, a cruel form of maths. And then the honours year, I think, felt really challenging, obviously because it's a massive undertaking. Uh, it's a long-term project with um, a huge deadline. So uh, I guess, yeah, to some, I felt like it was really interesting. Yeah, really quite quite, quite challenging, I guess, intellectually. Um, and also I was, I think, just really enjoying enjoying my uni life a little bit too much um, <laughs> so trying to balance the, the social life and also of course the book work um, yeah, on, on reflection there were there are there things that I, I would do differently if I was to design redesign the the psych degree for sure.
0: Yeah because I'm really interested with honours year a lot of people give that feedback that it's a really challenging year and at the end of my honours year I was completely exhausted I'd been working so hard and that's kind of a common experience. So, tell us where you went to after honors.
1: So, what I had a, had a really hard time, um, but I got through. Ended up getting like second class, um, first grade, or something. Yeah, and me then, too. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. What was my mindset? I think I was just wanting to get into the workplace, mm. and I think again, my mum was awesomely guiding for me, and she she said I should just get my get my teeth stuck in and just jump to the trenches. So I, then I. Um, got a job at, at DOCS or FACS, which is the the child, like the statutory child protection service in, in New South Wales. And yeah, just did that for two or three years. And that was, well, first of all, it's, it's kind of an absurd prospect, right? You throw a 21 a year old into child protection, you know, investigating child abuse, going to people's houses, doing removals, going to court, writing affidavits. It's, it's brutal and it's, it's wild.
0: Yeah, it's a big contrast because during the undergrad it's kind of going from writing this report on a research question and analyzing this lab data or looking at social group norms to what you just described. It it sounds pretty hardcore. How did you cope with that?
1: I mean, I think I probably had a slightly uh delusional belief in myself that okay. maybe I was <laughs> like I like I could do it and and maybe that's cuz when I got into it I just that's just what I need to do to survive, right? It's yeah, like, you it's know, like, I it can... sounds like a
0: good stroke coping strategy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a functional delusion. But I think also at at that time, and this probably ties into my my overall sense of myself and my mental health. I felt like that I could just deal with it, right? I could, I could do these things. I could witness these things, and I thought that I was immune, that I could just manage it. And I think that kind of got me through for the first couple of years. Um, mm. in, in the, I mean, in the like after that, and certainly in the past five, 10 years, I've been much more aware of, of vicarious trauma. And I think also as I've become a more connected psychologist, Mm. I think I've allowed myself to be affected by the work more. Uh, Whereas perhaps in those early years, I was maybe less uh, emotionally connected to the work and, and subsequently I was probably not as good a clinician, but I think I was just trying to trying to play the role. (laughs) That makes Um, sense
0: to me. I think it's quite common as well. You just kind of put this barrier between you and the client. It's an emotionally protective barrier. So there's the positive there that you might not get as much as the vicarious trauma if there's a wall between you. But Mm. then like you say, there might be consequences. Perhaps you aren't as attuned to the client as you could be or emotionally responsive. Not saying that you weren't these things.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, And also I think in that child protection context is it's that much harder to be really emotionally in tune because yeah, on totally. the one hand, yeah, you've got that kind of statutory power, and yep. then you're also expected to be this empathic, you know, therapist as well, mm. which is really like when you think about, um, what makes therapy work is <laughs> yeah. you know, it's never going to work. But no, it'd be
0: almost impossible. I don't know. I, I do remember back to my, like probably a few years ago when I was a provisional psych and there was this one person and I bet this is like universal experience. And I was like, I wish I could just, you know, bundle them up and take them away from their home and then they would be safe and I could keep them here and it'd be all good sort of thing. Um, and I don't know, like I'm willing to bet that in child protection, there are some things that you see that you're just like, wow, I wish I could just whisk them away.
1: Yeah and look that's that's the instinct right that's our mm. that's our instinct for for protecting for protecting vulnerable people. but I think that also plays into that more uh, i say naive, but I guess a less experienced yeah. viewpoint of the world. I think this is where maybe social work and counseling engenders a a better perception of the nuances and the gray mm. areas, yeah, and when yeah. you've got a bit more of that systemic view, um I think you're You're more willing to be able to sit with uh, the heavy stuff and and maybe allow allow some situations to play out because you know that it might be for the best in the end. like there's less of that immediate knee-jerk reaction of, oh, yeah. you know, I want to save them or I want to get them out of there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So this kind of leads us into an interesting area, which is you're kind of alluding to the idea that perhaps the undergraduate degree doesn't focus on these systemic kind of perception of the world, whereas social work and perhaps other degrees do. So let's just, I guess, Agree on what is the focus of the psych degree? So I've written down in my notes that I think the psych degree is weighted towards research and kind of a medical model of how we see people. So this person has a disease; it's kind of individual in them; it's their individual psychopathology, and so we treat the individual, and then the disease will go away. What's your perception?
1: That's it's fascinating. Um, I think. Look at the beginning. I really kind of um, I subscribe to that because I mean that's what you're taught, right? But I think, uh, and particularly in this more kind of contemporary space, hopefully that we're moving towards in terms of psychology and social justice and mm. looking at uh, the systemic contributions to individual mental illness. That's that's very much where my head's at, um, mm. and really thinking about power dynamics and privilege and how those become really important parts of the formulation. And I think th- again that that makes it a more difficult prospect because those sometimes those elements are less in the control of the person and less in control of, of, of the counseling context. Yeah. But I think it's, it's so necessary. Um, And then that's when, you know, our jobs as psychologists become much more political. Yeah. We have to advocate more. We have to fight against systems. I I work in a school. So looking at, you know, challenging, existing um, power dynamics and, and challenging principles and suspension practices and all those things. So in that sense, the work becomes more complex, but, it can make it that much more rewarding as well.
0: Yeah, because what I'm hearing then is, so you're a psychologist with 15 years experience and what I'm hearing is that your role involves thinking about these systemic issues every day. So thinking about power and privilege and social justice. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think about this when I first signed up to working in schools, but a school is like a mini world, like a mini ecosystem. Um, so you've got the like the power structures, you've got the discipline and then you've got all those kind of different social dynamics and then each kind of year group has its own vibe. So it's, it surprises me every day just how much this work is, is systemic and yeah, it, I just can't divorce it from, from that thinking. Uh, and again, in that way, it's, it can be more frustrating because, you know, obviously in private practice or in one-on-ones you have a, a, a more closed loop, but also I think in a, when you're operating in that greater ecosystem, you're, you're going to be creating, hopefully, Bigger a bigger impact, and and for the for the students, I guess you're you're coaching them and supporting them in a more real environment. Um, so that's I guess hopefully more in situ change.
0: Yeah, because it sounds kind of escape inescapable for that for a modern psychologist to be thinking about these issues. Whereas I would argue that the undergrad psych degree, well, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty clear from looking at the unit descriptions and from having experienced it ourselves. Like I don't remember. Ever having a lecture on, I guess, systemic issues or how to think about the world in that way, or I guess power structures or racism or all these things. What about you?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I to be honest, I think maybe the it surprised me that the first time I picked up like Carl Rogers' book. I mean, he's not obviously so much about systemic stuff, but I yeah. guess the general vibe of what you're saying, there's a lot that's missed in that, in that undergrad degree. Um, and I think it's a lot shaped by by the lecturers and I guess what they're into but really like all a lot of the foundational knowledge and and kind of foundational texts that I um I treasure now really came through yeah maybe my internship or you know I was lucky to have really great mentors and they kind of put me onto that stuff so it feels like uh well for me anyway that those basic building blocks or foundational thought patterns and texts yeah weren't presented to me while I was at uni
0: So do we think that they need to be, should they actually be in there that we have these building blocks?
1: I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, because I mean, I think it comes down to what kind of psychologist you want to be, Mm. um, how you want to practice, because I mean, look, I I don't think of myself as a, as a particularly textbook psychologist. Like I feel like more of a, like a hybrid social worker. Um, so, so for me, I think maybe, yeah, for me, the, the psych degree was not a good fit, but I think for someone that, maybe wants to work in a more specific context uh, maybe in inpatient or in the hospital system or you know specializing in private practice Then I think that it is a really good fit uh, or Mm. if they want to be a researcher but I think if you want to go into those other directions then yeah doing those other things finding great mentors um, being part of different organizations or you know Facebook groups to kind of build that knowledge I Mm. think is really necessary.
0: Yeah I would agree with that so I guess what I'm hearing from you is that the psych degree is fit for purpose for a specific type of person who wants to be a specific type of psychologist.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Look, it's one of those things, right. Is like, 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 like all of us, like how do we reflect and interrogate the narrative of our lives? Like, I mean, I could argue that if I didn't do the psych degree and I didn't have like a horrific four plus two (laughs) experience that I almost didn't survive, would I be, would I be the clinician I am today? No. Mm. Um, and how much different would I be if I was, if I had done a social work degree mm. to begin with? Um, mm. So there is always that kind of, you know. Of philosophy. course.
0: But do you think that things could have been made a bit easier? Like, do you ever remember reflecting back on maybe your horrific four plus two experience and you're like, damn, I wish somebody had taught me this in uni?
1: <laughs> yeah, four plus two. So
0: you're like, no, I've forgotten that phase of yeah. my life. <laughs> just blocked yeah, no, it that's, out. <laughs> yeah. That's repressed at least.
1: I think because in, in my four plus two, I was at, the Cerebral Palsy Alliance doing okay. like family therapy, family therapy type stuff, and then I was at Headspace as well to finish it off. I think, yeah, just learning more about even just older forms of or older older modalities, like a lot of the relational stuff, the more kind of psychodynamically informed stuff. That's stuff that I ended up finding um, the most useful and that resonated the most with me. I think, um, look, a lot of the kind of the standard stuff, the CBT and yeah, a lot of that more standard stuff, you know, that, that came in handy. That was really useful. Yeah, totally. But that kind of greater, yeah, maybe the, the wider sense of those modalities and and the history of of psych and and the learned practice of those things, uh, I, I didn't feel like I had as much in my undergrad. But also, I mean, again, I compare it to the social work degree mm. and I have a lot of um, friends that are social workers. It just, they seem to have a better sense of reflection and insight and more of that stuff around, you know, how is this, Interaction or how is this client making you feel and then using yeah. that? So I think maybe it just the social work degree builds better emotional intelligence potentially.
0: It's really interesting you say that because literally as we were talking, I was kind of answering my own question and I was like, I wish that there was more taught about transference and countertransference in the degree. And I think you're kind of echoing that and that you wish that there was more insight into how we are as people comes interaction with the work. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly right. Um, and I guess that makes sense with, you know, the the label of of psychology as you know a soft science, there's maybe less of a a tendency to introspect and see the um yeah, see the nuances and the kind of the airy-fairy side of the work. And I guess one of the things that um like I found really useful is is going to therapy myself. That's really helped obviously like survive my four plus two and and survive being a being a psychologist. Uh, But also it it helped me professionally to know um, you know, what it's like to be in, in the seat and to figure out what works. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of things that my therapist <laughs> told me, which I was like, oh, I'm never going to say that to my, <laughs> to my client ever again. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think it's also reflecting, look, the the fact that a psychologist or any kind of therapeutic role is, it's not a, a normal job. It's, mm. um, it's, yeah, vicariously traumatic. And, you know, our hearts and our souls are, our our key tools for our job so to keep that to keep that in check and to keep those tools tuned up with therapy and with you know self-care and all those things that's um I guess something that was never really mentioned to me in in psychology as much.
0: What I'm hearing you say with the social work degree is that one it has more a capacity to build emotional intelligence, but also it seems to allow more exploration. Like they have way more practical components than the undergrad psychology degree does, which Mm. has either zero or encourages their undergrads to get some volunteer experience. And so like, how are we supposed to know what we like and what kind of psychologist we want to be if we're not actually given that opportunity to explore?
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a a striking point. Like I was looking back on, on my degree and the current, um, units involved I think there is a there's something called a capstone unit which is in the fourth year and that involves like reflection on uh I guess what kind of psychologist you want to become oh wow uh yeah I was very impressed (laughs) yeah Uh, reflection um kind of trying to bring all the elements of your knowledge together into like a meaningful whole and then you also get 32 hours of a work placement there that's that's,
0: amazing which university is that
1: that was at Macquarie Uni in Sydney. Wow. Um, I mean, look, 32 hours is like, what, like less than a week? Yeah,
0: nothing. but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: compared to social work. But the fact that that's there is is comforting and maybe some of the feedback over the years has contributed to the development of that unit. So I think it's getting there and it's getting better bit by bit. But yeah, at its core, I think that lack of practical experience really does um, that early cohort a disservice because you end up with a lot of, A lot of book knowledge and a lot of, um, theories, but then I think like, like you felt and I felt once you're thrown in the deep end into a job, then yeah, you just don't have that experience.
0: No, and I've gotten feedback about that as well. So I've worked with uh, people who have been released from prison, for example, and they've complimented me on the fact that I didn't seem to be reading out of a textbook, that I actually wanted to connect with them as a real human. And I felt that was nice, but also sad that they, throughout their whole prison experience that they hadn't actually had somebody who could connect with them as a person Mm. rather than just sound like they're reading from a CBT textbook.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and that's... I think that's part of the problem is is when when you expose a cohort to that much knowledge, and they're not giving them that exposure, um, and also the kind of messaging you're giving to, to a cohort of people is like, okay, we're going to assess you and 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 test you on all these things and take take you through a really rigorous process. I think that, well, certainly in me, that encouraged or fostered just a, re- a huge sense of perfectionism and so true. Yeah, I mean, I I'm a quite a like a neurotic person to begin with. Aren't um, we all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. didn't
0: mean to dis- I disparage you. It's just that on this podcast before, I've kind of either said, "Look, you're a self-sacrifice," "You're a perfectionist," as a psychologist, <laughs> or, or or both. Uh, so it seems to be very common schemas that we have.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so I think that that doesn't help with like our our core schemas to begin with. Um, and particularly the four plus two, I think, really set me up to yeah, just to to really struggle with that perfectionism. And mm-hmm. it's taken me, you know, um, well, how long I've been registered? Well, six, six years, only in the past, probably three years, am I really starting to kind of come back into my own skin and kind of be able to practice from, from myself, because I think for so long, I was still in that four plus two mindset, having to get the intervention, get the formulation down, get the yeah. plan going. Yeah. And I think that sense of urgency and, Moving away from the therapeutic relationship, I think that that made me a worse therapist. Um, yeah, I think slowly I'm being able to practice more from from my soul and from the the truer part of myself. Um, it makes the work harder because you're putting more of yourself into the work. But I think and and I know that that's what makes good therapy. Yeah,
0: because I'm I'm aware that you know you've spent 15 years in this field. Something that I've brought up on the podcast before is one of the aims of what I'm doing is to help people who want to stay in our field, continue to stay in the field. We have an alarming rate of burnout Mm. and sometimes when people experience that burnout in their early years, they actually leave the profession. And so I'm looking at you and I'm like, wow, there's somebody here with 15 years experience. They know what it takes to actually survive in this profession. And you're saying, look, it is really important to know yourself to get that therapy to realize that you are part of the toolkit of being a psychologist. Can you just give us some more insights into what it takes to kind of survive this long?
1: That's that's assuming I'm like surviving or like thriving at all. It, it is um, an assumption,
0: but you know, give us some hope here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's an interesting question. I think look finding finding great mentors, and I know that's hard to do. I've been really lucky because I've had two or three like older mentors um that I think have been really generous with me and really shaped me. Uh so I think like I guess maybe the the advice there is is um keep looking for a mentor until you find one that's really gonna nurture you. Cause I mean, I think there probably be a lot of people out there that have had not great experiences of, of supervision and mentoring. Um, but yeah, again, I think that it's so important. It's 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 like it's like, you know, what what early parenting does. I think early mentoring in in early career is is pivotal, setting those kind of work schemas and making those early years rich and exciting and, and beautiful. Um, what else, what else? I think, look, I've, I've changed jobs around like a reasonable amount. So I think that that's helped me figure out what, what's going to work for me. Um, I still don't exactly know like what's, what's the best role for me. I guess the other thing is in a more kind of practical standpoint is, is thinking about the the nuts and bolts of the job and Mm. whether they're going to fit in with your life. So, I mean, at the moment, I work in in schools, which is really good because I have a young family. So, I guess finding those um, variables that fit with your life, but also, I guess having a sense of maybe taking a step back, obviously from from face face to face work. Um, I've yeah, I think I've been in in front facing roles for for about about enough. So, I think my next role will probably be something in a, a supervision space or a consulting space or something like that. Um, that's a pretty common practice amongst you know, my peers and, and other psychologists I know. Uh,
0: is that just to manage the emotional labor of the role? Do you feel like you could be a more effective face-to-face clinician if you took some time away or is that for another reason?
1: I think it's both. I think once you've done that early career in the trenches bit, I think you start to get some ideas about what you want to be different. Um, so I think there's a, a natural shift towards a more systemic based role. Um, and then probably embedded within that is that sense of just having that respite. And yeah, I guess one, once you're away from the, the front facing roles, you'll, and if you start to miss it, then you'll know that that's what yeah. you are meant to do. Um, I mean, I remember one of my mentors, you know, he was super experienced. He kind of managed, um, the child and adolescent mental health service across Sydney. Um, and, and when he was with, with me at Headspace, he ended up just doing like, like just just the the basic therapy with or the, the the intake work because he just really missed the work. So I think it's a good test of where your passion really is as well to kind of step away and then come back.
0: I guess something else that I heard you emphasize was really speaking to that relational aspect, which we might not get taught during the undergrad degree about how important it is. I just was interested in hearing from you, like how important is it? Do you think I guess who we are as humans and to bring that into the therapy space?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've only really learned in the past five or 10 years. I mean, if you think about, you know, the, the common factors pie chart, uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, what is it, 30 to 40% is the therapeutic relationship, yep. 15% is the modality, 15% is hope, and then there's extra therapeutic factors. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, that relationship is is so massive. And I think the earlier or the more you can learn to bring that into the therapy room, the more, the, the better clinician you'll be. And also, I think the more sustainable your practice will be because you'll be, yeah, practicing from the heart. I guess it's it's challenging. And like, I mean, I've, uh, yeah, I've had kids recently. And so that's kind of been the biggest shaper of my kind of relational stance in in the therapy room. And that, that, that makes it more challenging because like when I see clients or students, I think of, you know, that they... If like that, my, my child could be in that situation one day and like how, how do I want to approach them in that way so it makes it more personal in some yeah. sense but I think it it means that you can be more effective and you can start to use those relational aspects to, to better effect in in the room yeah I guess that that sense of using the relationship mm. is I feel like it's kind of like a the more not quite magical but the mysterious aspect of therapy yeah because you're because You're not just, you know, doing a worksheet and, you know, doing exposures and stuff like that. It really is more dynamic and you're having to attend to those nuances much more. So yeah, it's something that I still struggle with. I still kind of, I'm learning how to do the dance of, um, that relational work, but I feel like it, it is really satisfying. Um, and I think, yeah, it is really effective.
0: Awesome. Brian, I feel like we're kind of coming towards the end of this episode, but I just wanted to go back then and start with the original question of: Is the undergrad degree fit for this profession? What have we learned?
1: Um, I think I guess guess the the question is: It depends where you want to go with with your profession. Um, It it can really fit well if um, if you want to move towards towards research or towards a more kind of textbook clinical psych pathway or if you want to get to a particular place. So I know that mm. to be a to be a psychologist in New South Wales, or to be to be a school psychologist in New South Wales, you need to be, you need to be a psychologist. Whereas, you know, in the Catholic system, you can be a social worker or a counselor. Um, and I know that in the hospital system, you need to be a clean psych um, to access certain roles. So I think if there are those specific pathways or particular places you want to go, then great. If if your interests are more diverse, then I think being able to explore those areas of knowledge and being able to expose yourself to those areas you're interested in is really important Mm. um, so that you don't get thrown in the deep end in your first job. Um, Yeah.
0: So if you have kind of a social justice or social work kind of leaning, which it sounds like you have passions in these areas, it sounds like volunteer or paid work that really gets you in front of the people who you're interested in or working from that perspective would be helpful.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I, those kind of early experiences when I was, I think I, I volunteered at a, like a brain rehab center um, and, you know, I worked at Lifeline as well. Yeah, those are experiences I still reflect on and I still kind of use as, um, as clinical examples. Um, and just that, that feeling, the feeling of connection, the feeling of sitting with vulnerability and just, yeah, seeing the, the beauty of, of, of the human narrative or the human personality. They've been really kind of foundational experiences.
0: Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for telling us about your experience. I, I've been really it's been really lovely to chat with you. Is there any final takeaway that you want to leave listeners with?
1: I mean, along the lines of what we, we've been saying, I think training uh, to be a psychologist is kind of training to be a human, right? Is yeah, we have a unique a unique role um, with a unique kind of skill set. So uh, yeah, I mean. I love like food and music and 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 narrative and, and podcasts and all these things. Like those things are still really impactful in my work and and end up being as useful as as PD sessions sometimes. So um exploring what you love as a human um is is gonna make you a great therapist as as well.
0: I completely agree and thank you for that. I was rewarded the other day for knowing what adventure time was with a <laughs> young person. And so I feel very validated hearing you say that.
1: Oh, it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um that, that feeling when a teenager like their face lights up because yeah. you like you, you like the same culture as them it's it's gold
0: yeah i'm in i'm the cool person Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great well that's a wrap thank you so much again brian and thank you listeners for listening if you have any feedback on this episode or any questions please send me an email at mentalworkpodcast.gmail.com and until our next episode take care and we'll catch you then bye thanks for listening to mental work the podcast for early career psychologists. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press follow on your podcast listening app. If you want to show us some love, consider sharing the episode with a friend or giving us a five-star rating and review in your podcast app. If you want to show us some extra love, join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash mentalworkpodcast. This really helps to keep the podcast alive. Want to keep the conversation going? Have a cool idea for an episode or just want to say hi? Send me an email or join the Facebook page by clicking on the links in the show description. See you next time.